0: Welcome to the God Shift Podcast, where we move you from disruption into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. I'm your host, Shana Rattler, and I'm a minister, author, and sought-after speaker. Join myself and individuals, organization leaders, and ministry leaders who unapologetically share their story of when their life collided with God's purpose and put them on the path that was designed for them. You will learn how elevating God's position in your life empowers you to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, and uncertainty and unlocks the door to confidently move you into your next chapter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Godship Podcast. I am your host, Shana Rattler. I am glad that you are here. I am excited to introduce my guest to you. But before we do that, I need a favor from you. So wherever you are listening to this podcast, I would appreciate it if you would take a screenshot. So whether it's on your laptop or your tablet or your phone, just take a screenshot of it, post it on social media. And I want two things from you. Number one, tag us here to God Shift, and I would love to hear your biggest aha or your biggest takeaway from the episode. Why do we do that? Because it's really my mission to go beyond just talking, beyond just inspiration and motivation, but I really want this to get in the hands of as many believers as possible so that they can recognize on the other side of their disruption, on the other side of whatever it is that they're going through, I want them to see that there are other people out there who have similar experiences and that can give advice to help them get on the other side of whatever it is that they're experiencing. So by you sharing it, it helps us to get that into the hands of more people. So I appreciate that. Thank you in advance. So I am going to introduce my guest. I'm going to read his bio, and then I'm going to give him the opportunity to share a little bit more about who he is. So Scott LaPierre is a senior pastor, author, and conference speaker. He holds a master's in biblical studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wife, Katie, have been married for more than 15 years. A former school teacher and army officer, Scott currently leads a church in Washington State and supports his family on his pastor's salary, allowing Katie to stay home with their nine children. Both are passionate advocates of homeschooling. Learn more about Pastor Scott at his website, www.scottlapierre.org. Welcome to the show, Scott. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks, Shana. Thanks for having me here, and I'm glad to have this time with you and your guests.
0: Absolutely. I'm excited to get into this. I'm always excited when when I get to interview other ministry leaders. There's a lot of people that I get the opportunity to interview that give great advice, but all of it's not godly advice. So I'm always looking forward to being able to interview other ministry leaders. So I read your eloquent bio, but I would love to hear just a little bit more about you and your ministry and kind of some of the things that you're up to these days.
1: Okay, great. So, yes, I pastor church in Southwest Washington. We've been here since 2010. My wife and I grew up in Northern California together, came to Washington for the uh, pastor position. I was, uh, like you read, I was an army officer after college and then a school teacher. That's when I became a Christian. I thought I'd spend the rest of my life teaching elementary school, but developed a real passion for preaching God's word and then went into ministry after that. And I know you hear someone has nine kids and you kind of, you know, it makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit, but we didn't, I wouldn't say we necessarily set out to have nine kids. It was just, just want to have what God wanted to give us. This isn't a commentary on what anyone else does, but we just got married and said, Hey, we just want God to create our family for us. And, and, you know, we kind of want to reach the end of our lives and have his fingerprints on, on, uh, you know, what, what we have for children. And nine right now, Katie turned 40, uh, two months ago. And so maybe this will be it, but maybe God will give us some more. Yeah. And we homeschool. I've authored some books you can find on Amazon and I do a little bit of speaking, but primarily my life goes into my church and then my family.
0: So I have to ask, you said that you became a Christian when you were a school teacher. Was that because the kids were driving you crazy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I was really enjoying being a school teacher. My brother died of a drug overdose and it was a shock to all of us. He had struggled. He had started struggling with drugs, but he was very healthy. He he actually took steroids and, and was very fit looking while he was addicted to drugs. He'd been in the military too. And I remember when my dad called me and told me that he had, he had overdosed and I, I had no intention of becoming a Christian, getting saved, born again, any of that language. I was just struggling. And a, and a friend of mine that I taught with, who was a Christian, he said, Hey, why don't you come to my church and talk to my pastor? His, his brother died when he was about your age. And and so I went to this church, not expecting anything more than to have a conversation with this pastor. And somebody gave me a Bible because I didn't bring one with me. I'd never read the Bible before. and I felt like God was speaking to me that day. You know, the pastor said, open the Bible to this chapter. He read a verse, explained it, read a verse, explained it. And it was a life-changing moment. I thought, you know, I can understand God's word. I believe that he's speaking to me through it. I I actually, I don't even think I spoke to the pastor that day and I was already looking forward to coming back the following Sunday and then heard the gospel for the first time, uh, you know, in the near future and became a Christian soon after that. And then I didn't, I think I taught, you know, one or two more, years as an elementary school teacher, but that was just kind of passing the time until God opened the door for me to go into ministry.
0: Yeah. Your life is, if you could look up a God shift in the dictionary, your life is the definition of a God shift. So my definition of a God shift is the, a a moment that a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose And moves us into a greater destiny. I believe that God uses unexpected circumstances to get our attention. And he's using that as an invitation to invite us into the life that he really has planned for us. And so what you just described is the quintessential definition of how God can take something traumatic and use it like we all know and it i think it comes becomes cliche sometimes in romans when it says all things work together for our good but i think that your life is the, is the perfect testimony to show how god can use something traumatic to get your attention and actually pull you into the life that he has planned for you. Because even though teaching was probably great, it was probably great benefits for you, great benefits for the students and their futures, but that wasn't the path that God has planned, God had planned for you. And anytime we're putting energy into something that is on the path that he doesn't have planned, he will do something to get us on that path. And so that's a, that's a great um, segue into our conversation of exactly what is a God shift? And why does God use the things that he uses in our lives um, in order Mm -hmm. to get us to where it is that he needs us? So that was that was the perfect setup.
1: Yeah, I read where you where you have written that way about um, God kind of intervening in our lives and redirecting. And I will just say one thing to your listeners that often at the time that it's taking place, we might not see God's fingerprints or recognize at the moment. But that's what he's doing. Often it takes us getting some um, length of time into the future to see that God's fingerprints were on it. And so for me, like, you know, my brother dies, I get saved. I didn't even connect the dots between these events until looking back later. And it's like, wow, you know, you mentioned Romans 8 28 earlier of God working all things together for good, but he had done that very dramatically for me. And we were having a family Bible study the other night. Uh, and my daughter, my eldest daughter, made this point that she was reflecting on the number of people who had come to know Christ as a result of me becoming a Christian. And she does not very, uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily, not naturally an evangelist. I, I probably am convicted. That I don't share the gospel more. Most of my life in ministry is with, with my church family, people who, who are already Christians. But, yeah. um, so she, she was referring more to my children and then my parents. And so when, so Katie just saw how, when God kind of, uh, you know, crashed into my life, well, then the number of other lives are affected by that. My parents have become Christians as a result. They were very upset when, when I became a, a Christian because it involved leaving the religion that I had been raised in. Uh, right. They since became Christians. I baptized them. Dad serves as a deacon, served as a, as a deacon at, at uh, my church until he passed away. Uh, my children coming to know Christians, and then my daughter become Christians. And then My daughter was reflecting on you know, the number of their children that would become Christians and just how many people are affected. By that moment of God, you know, bringing me to salvation in my early twenties. So I'm not, you know, obviously Acts with uh, Acts and I with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, and you know the light shines and it's this ultra dramatic testimony. You know, Paul shares it all throughout the book of Acts. Well, there's a sense in which I kind of I kind of feel like God, you know, shined the light very brightly in my life and revealed Himself to me, and I'm thankful that, you know, He saved me and and uh, chain, redirected, as you said, the the way that He did.
0: Yes, I love it. So in your opinion, you know, the the audience that typically listens to this is experiencing some form of disruption, whether it's good or bad. It's unexpected and it's shaking their life up. So in your experience, how can someone actually use disruption to be beneficial to their
1: life? Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I would just say this. If you happen to be listening right now, we tend to see things sort of randomly coincidentally arbitrarily in our lives but if you believe god is sovereign which is what i believe and what the bible clearly teaches then there's actually no 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 randomness to our lives nothing happens coincidentally or uh, or by chance and so you didn't i don't know if you plan on listening today but god planned for you to listen today and for you to hear all this and so then when we recognize that god is working in our lives then we can be comforted because uh you know sometimes bad things happen and people don't want to think that god is behind it but actually actually god being behind it is the only comfort because the alternative is that you're just very unlucky so let, let's just say something really terrible happens maybe someone you know gets a disease and they don't they don't want to see god associated with that but the fact is that if if god isn't associated with that then he's not in control he can't help you there's no reason to pray god's sort of you know in heaven on his throne looking down and saying oh i'm so you know i'm so sorry about what happened to so and so i wish i could have done something about it but i can't and that's that's the opposite of the reality. The reality is that God is always using the circumstances in our lives to reach us, to draw draw us to himself. And so in answer to your question, the question I would have or invite people to ask is, how does God want to use this in my life right now to bring him glory? Because everything God is doing in our lives is for his glory. We, We generally kind of want to be the center of our universe and you know, we we thought for the longest time, the sun revolves around the earth. And that's kind of how all of us live. But the reality is this life is about God and him being honored through our actions. And so that's the question that people should ask is how does God want to use this to bring glory to himself? And also at the same time, what is he trying to teach me? You know, what am I supposed to learn from this? So that I kind of like, you kind of think about Israel in the wilderness, and we don't want to have to take another lap around Sinai, you know, and spend more years in the wilderness want to get in the promised land. And so it's like, What can I learn from this so that God doesn't have to try to teach me this lesson again?
0: Yeah. What I love about what you just said is because, you know, to your point earlier, it's usually not until down the line that hindsight shows you what the benefit to your life was. So sometimes it can be very difficult to go. Oh, you know, how's he going to get the glory out of this or whatever? But what I love about what you said is the fact that because I say all the time, he allows things to happen, they happen for you, not necessarily to you. But what I love about what you just said, and I'm going to steal it just so you know, is that knowing that he's behind it is the comfort. And so if you if you're going through something in your life right now and you feel like you don't know the answer to your what the hell is going on moment, then, you know, take comfort in knowing that he's behind it. Because Mm -hmm. if you, especially if you're a believer, you already know that he's good. You already know that even though it feels like it's gonna destroy you, that it's actually not. And so actually taking comfort in knowing that he's behind it, let that be your bridge until you get to the point that you actually realize what the benefit is. Because it may be sometime down the road before you're real clear, you know, conceptually, you know, theoretically in your mind, but it may be some time before you actually see the real evidence of that answer. So Pastor, mm-hmm. Steve, I'm definitely going to be stealing that, that the fact that he's behind it is the comfort I'm going to be using. Mm-hmm. That. So when I get on the big stage and you hear me say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someone told me one time that the best speakers or the best preachers are all the best thieves. And that yeah. nobody really has an original thought. It's just a question of who you're stealing stuff, stuff from, you know, when you kind of think about the book of Job, and it's interesting. We, we see those first two chapters. We kind of see behind the, cur- the curtain. We get to see what led to those all of his suffering, but Job didn't see any of that. And so we actually live in those subsequent chapters. We don't. We can see behind the curtain in Job's life, but we don't see behind the curtain in our lives. And so we're very much like Job in that we're forced to trust God and walk by faith. And that's what he said. He said, even though God would slay me, I will still trust him. And it says that Job... Did not did not um, sin with his lips and so despite all he went through and how confusing it would have been because what something sometimes people don't understand about the book of Job is it's the earliest book he didn't have the scriptures that we have and he couldn't you know turn to Romans 828 and read this or James 1 2 through 4 and how counter all trials you know as you've experienced various trials because you know God is working through it he he had to walk by faith in a way that most of us cannot cannot fathom. And then, you know, he gets all he wants throughout the book is to question God about why this is happening. And then God shows up and you think that God is finally going to explain himself to Job. And instead, God just unleashes all these questions uh, against Job. Like, who are you to question me? Who is this who darkens my counsel? And so we don't get to be in a position to, to um, you know, question God. We can reverently ask and say, Lord, help me to understand why this has happened. But most of the time we're forced to, that's what it means to walk by faith. You know, often people think about walking by faith and it's like, oh, you know, if you walk by faith, you're going to go be a missionary in a third third world country. And no walking by faith is what we do every single life, every every, every single day of our lives. And we say, I don't know why this is happening, but I will continue to trust God that he's good, that he's working in my best interest. He knows what's best for me, even if it happens to look like the opposite.
0: Absolutely. So I think we've made it pretty clear by now that. If, if we um, do the right things or avoid some of the wrong things, that we can actually use disruption as a tool to create a better life. So in the people that you have counseled over the years, what would you say are some of the most common barriers that you see that can actually get in the way of somebody using a time like this to actually better themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. The, the issue is that we don't always agree with God about what is good for us. And so what I mean by that is the Bible always speaks about trials in a very positive way. When we think about trials, we think of them as being bad things. Um, Nobody ever says, you know, oh, I mean, that's why in James 1, it says to count it all joyous trials. If you don't feel joy, you have to decide that you will view it joyfully because you're confident in what God's producing in your life or in other people's lives as a result of that trial. So the real obstacle is that things happen to us and we don't, We don't view it the way that god does we don't see something good being produced from it but what god often wants to be doing is he wants to be conforming us into the image and likeness of his son jesus christ that's what sanctification is you know we're saved that's just that's justification uh which is an instantaneous process and then the rest of our lives is the process of sanctification which lasts every single day as god is conforming us more into the image and likeness of his son and so the problem is we're suffering and we don't like it and we wish this suffering would go away but that's exactly what God can be using um you know in our lives and the lives of other people around us I'm convinced that God doesn't just want to use our trials for for our good he wants to use them for the good of others there's here's an example there's a young lady in our church she is in her she's in her 20s she her and her husband are very good friends of ours uh, very healthy. And she tells the story that she's out running one day, you know, five miles and, then, you know, then sit by a pool with her kids and life couldn't be any better. Uh, she's in excruciating pain. She goes to the doctor and, she, and her and her husband learned that she had stage four colon cancer. She looks like the perp, the, the um, picture of health. And this was a few years ago. Since then, she's went through multiple um, rounds of uh, chemo. Uh, she's in, currently in remission. If anyone listens to this, I'd love, love for you to pray for her. Her name's Rachel Dye. But, um, anyway, there's just all these incredible ways that what she, the way that she's went through these, this trial, and it's not to say that she doesn't struggle. It's not to say that she doesn't question. It's not to say she doesn't doubt. It's not to say that she doesn't have her moments where she sounds like David in the Psalms, just pouring out her heart to God. Why, why would you allow this to happen to me or, or question, have I done something wrong? Which is one of the things we almost all, all tend to think. Um, but, but through it, she's handled it in such a God honoring way. It's been an incredible encouragement. I've been privileged just to be her pastor and see the ways that this has worked in the lives, uh, you know, of our church. So that's, that's kind of one of the other things, you know, with the book of Job is he didn't know that his trials were going to be such a great encouragement to all these people throughout, um, you know, throughout the centuries. And so we don't know my family. We Katie in particular likes to read the stories of different missionaries, well, when you're reading about different missionaries, you're basically reading about people that suffered terribly. These are not people that lived extravagant lives. Uh, you know, they were people that experienced a lot of betrayal and rejection, probably not knowing at the time the incredible fruit God was going to bring forth um, through their ministries. And so that's the other the other thing is recognizing that God has a much bigger plan. We're just this very small part of it. And we're fortunate or blessed enough to be able to take part in it and what God wants to do. But we often, we can't see all the other great ways, you know, that we just fit in as this little cog that he's using our lives to minister to other people as well. I mean, if you're a Christian, there's people watching you. They're looking at what you say. They're looking at what you do. They want to see how you respond. And there are a few things that are as impressive to people as someone bearing up under trials well. Have you ever seen someone go through something incredibly difficult and you look at the way they handle that Well. It's a, it's a great sign of Christ. You're seeing Christ through them because you say, I don't know how they could handle that. You know, I don't know if I could handle it. If I was in in their position, there's something behind that. There's some reason that they can respond as well as they do. And it's often their relationship with the Lord.
0: Absolutely. You know, I would love to add to what you just said, you know, you struck a chord when you talked about process, you know, like I, I think sometimes we forget the fact or don't want to agree to use your language that there's almost always a gap between promise and provision and it's the process. And that's the part, you know, I was listening to a sermon one time years ago that TD Jakes was saying, was doing, and he said, you know, everybody wants the promise, but no one likes the process. And not only does, is, is the process one that betters us, but it's inevitable. Like you can't skip it. <laughs> you know, you just absolutely, you know, you, you shouldn't want to skip it, but even if you could, you, you know, you, you really can't skip it. And so I think that we have to recognize that the process is, is there for a reason. And just like anything else in life, whether it's building a car baking a cake, it's a process. You don't get the idea and get the promise and have the product immediately and it's not going to be any different with our lives as well. So I want to pause Pastor Scott and take a quick break and then when we come back from the break we're going to um, share some tips with how some of the people with how the people can put some of these concepts together that we have been discussing during this time. This episode is brought to you by the free guide When God Says Shift. Inside, you'll discover the four shifts required to follow God's plan to move you out of disruption and into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. Head to godsaysshift.com to access it now. So we, we've talked a lot about why God uses the disruption. We, we've said that it's an invitation. We said that that invitation ultimately gets us either to who he needs us to be, or where it is that he needs to be. So now let's talk about some of the ways that people can actually put that into practice because I'm big on, you know, making sure that people have tangible steps that they can actually put in place because sometimes people hear stuff and they're like, "Yeah, that's great, but I don't know how to do that." So what would you say are some of your best tips, Pastor Scott? So if you have somebody that is experiencing disruption and they want to make sure that it actually develops them, what are some of the best tips that you have that they can start putting into practice right away?
1: Mm -hmm. Good. So I would say we've been talking earlier that we believe these are ways God is reaching out to us or, or working in our lives. And if we're not familiar with his word, he isn't going to be able to bring to mind. He's not going to be able to speak to us through it. It's the scriptures that God uses to uh, to communicate with us, to reveal himself, reveal his will, reveal what he wants us to know about him. And it's often when we're in the scriptures that we recognize, uh, you know, what God is doing and, and that's how he shows us things in our lives. And so for people that aren't reading the Bible, they're really silencing the way that God would want to communicate with them. We're not going to, uh, the trial itself is often what God uses, if you want to say, to get our attention or to... Um, you, you know, to draw us us toward him. But if we want to go beyond that, we're going to have to be in the Bible uh, regularly, learning what God has to say to us. And then, obviously, prayer. We've talked about that. Oh, pouring out our hearts to God. If you read the Psalms, you see that the Psalms are not just these a book about all the, about people praising God. Oh, my life is so great. Oh, it couldn't be better. I'm so thankful. The Psalms are people who were struggling terribly at times, just pouring out their hearts. It's messy. It's ugly. For the person who's really suffering, when they read the Psalms, they're going to identify with many of the things that David or, or another psalmist is saying. And then probably the, the third thing um, would be fellowship. I think we need other Christians in our lives. None of us are intended to be islands. And very often, if if second only to God speaking to us through his word, uh, maybe our spouse, he's going to speak to us through a brother or sister in Christ. And so whenever I meet people who are struggling and are isolated, they're not plugged into a local church, they do not a church family, then I think they're really silencing mm-hmm. One of the most important ways God would, God would reach them or work in their lives, which is through another brother or sister in Christ. And then the fourth thing is I just want to make an important distinction here between discipline and trials. There's a really big problem if we confuse discipline with trials and a really big problem if we confuse trials with discipline. What I mean by that, and I'll just capture it with an example one time, this is, this is kind of when this first occurred to me. This woman who I've never met sent me this email and she was devastated because she'd lost a child. It was evident she had not done anything to lose this child, but what made the, the trial? So I would say this is a trial. It was not discipline. What made it even worse was she wanted to know what she had done wrong that introduced this trial into her into her life. It's kind of like when the disciples said, "Hey, this man's born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents?" Because there's always this idea, it's sort of bound up in us, to believe that if something bad has happened, there must have been some sin behind it. Right. I mean, that's what Job's friends said. You're only suffering terribly. So you must have sinned terribly because God wouldn't punish a righteous person, mm-hmm. which isn't which is not true. Great people like Christ himself, who was perfect and sinless, suffered terribly. So what happened was this woman was experiencing a trial, the loss of a child, but she believed that it was discipline. She believed that God was disciplining her for something she'd done. And the problem with with that is that if we haven't done anything wrong and it's simply a trial, there's nothing for us to repent of. Well, the other problem is when we're experiencing discipline, but we think it's a trial. And what I mean by that is when God disciplines us, He wants to see repentance in our lives. So discipline and trials are different in that if we're if we're suffering discipline, then God wants to see something in our lives change. Well, if we think we're experiencing a trial, then we're not looking to repent of anything. We're probably just kind of feeling sorry for ourselves. And so all that to say you've been patient while I try to answer, answer this question, going on a, a little long. Now I'm taking notes.
0: If you see me looking down, I forgot my pen and I'm typing notes
1: that I want to take. Okay. So I would say this. The other thing is possibly God wants us to repent. If he has intervened in our lives, is it because we sinned? Is it because we've done something wrong and God wants to see us repent? Stop doing that. Now, again, you know, you lose a child or you get a disease, assuming you didn't cause that disease through some unhealthy behavior or practice. Well, then that's not that's not a that's not discipline, that's a trial. But if you've done something to cause it such as sin, Mm -hmm. well then God, what God actually wants to see in your life is he wants to see repentance. He wants to see you humble yourself. One of the worst things is to watch people suffer, not understand why that's happening and missing that it's actually their own behavior, their own disobedience who's brought this suffering into their lives. And so that's a very unfortunate place to be then. Sometimes if I could be honest with people and say, oh, why has this happened to me? If I was honest, I would say because you've sinned and God loves you and now he's disciplining you and he wants to see you repent and grow.
0: Yes, I love that you said that because I was um, listening to a sermon not that long ago. And when the pastor said what he said at first, it kind of shocked me and took me aback a little bit until he described it. And he basically said that there are times that people come to him for prayer and they tell him what it is. And he goes, no, I'm not praying for that. (laughs) And at first I was like, wait a minute, why would the pastor ever tell somebody that he wouldn't pray for them? But he said something very similar to, to what you did is that that, you know, you know, there's a there's another conversation that we need to have about why you found yourself in this situation and how you make sure you don't find yourself in that situation that situation again. Let's let's pray about that because a lot of the things that are in our lives, yes, God allows to happen because He has to, but there's a lot of things that we inflict on ourselves. You know, a little bit about my own personal you know God shift. My very first God shift. The Lord allowed my business to dry up because he was trying to get my attention that he was calling me to ministry. That was his God shift. But he was very, very clear about what he wanted my ministry to consist of. And I went and created a coaching business out of it. So I actually delayed my destiny. I actually brought a lot of extra expenses and losses on myself myself. Because I, I thought, oh, I just want to give him something to bless. Well, I didn't even give him a version of the vision to bless. So now it's like, you know, no, don't pray that, you know, God gets you out of this and does this and the other thing, because you you told the world that you were very clear what he told you. But what, when I look at what I created, it wasn't even a version of the vision that he gave me to bless. So, yeah, like sometimes it's like, no, you this happened to you because of something that you did. And I love the fact that you're willing to say it and just put it out there in that way, because I believe that sometimes the gospel is presented in a way to people that we think that it's always just going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. It's always going to smell like roses. And it's no, sometimes things are happening in your life because you've been living raggedy. Sometimes Mm -hmm. things are happening in your life because you were doing things that you had no business doing. So Mm -hmm. I love that you said that.
1: Yeah, we, we do people a terrible disservice when, when we preach the gospel like this, which isn't even really a gospel. And we say, hey, why don't you come to Christ? Because he wants to make your life better, and then you'll be happy every single day. And there's this idea, hey, come to Christ, and then everything will be fixed. And it's it's the exact opposite. And there's only a there's a few huge problems with that. First, you, you're going to come to Christ, and you're going to suffer. John 16, uh, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's just part of life on the side of heaven, living in a fallen world. And so if someone has been told that they're going to come to Christ and then their life is going to be carefree. Well, then they're going inevitably to encounter a trial. And there's only a few possibilities. First, they're going to think that the person that told them their life would be carefree was lying to them. Uh, They could think that Christianity is simply not true because if Christianity was true, then why isn't my life carefree? Uh, Like you said, walking through tulips, like this person said. Or the third thing is they think that they believe Christianity, but they think God is upset with them. Because everyone else who's a Christian, they're like, "Is carefree. Well, why am I suffering? I must have done something wrong. God's upset with me. They think they're being disciplined. It's actually, it's actually just a, a trial. And I, if I understood what you were saying about your business, it's kind of like, you know, you put before God, and it's like God is an A or B, and he says that it's C. And this is why we need to hold things fairly loosely, open-handedly. And I, I you know, not that I'm, I'm a very type A person if something needs to be done, I I have trouble not getting it done, you know, yesterday. And so I'm very, I'm aggressive in my personality, my work, my relationships. It can definitely be one of my biggest weaknesses. Well, so that's not easy for me to hold life or ministry open handedly, but what it typically involves praying are things that I don't like. It's saying, God, use me how you want to use me, do what's best with my life, bring yourself glory and honor through me versus saying, I mean, I'm a competitive guy, you know, I've published books. I want to see them who who wouldn't want, if they publish a book, who wouldn't want to see a bestseller out of it, you know? So it's very easy to want to just pray all these great things. Hey, if my next speaking engagement, let there be, you know, thousands of people or something like that. But instead what we should pray is Lord, use me the way you know is best. Let me life on this side of heaven is about God's glory. And so to, to say, open and close the right doors for me, there's doors. I want you to open Lord. And it's really easy to want to pray and say, open these doors. Don't open those doors. But what we should pray is open the right doors for me, Lord, close the right doors, direct my life. Um, It's kind of that idea we're supposed to go through life and just kind of let God pick up the tab, let him do provide what he knows is best, what we need and have him direct us. But that can only happen when we're when we're trying to be receptive to his will. And um, which, again, kind of goes back to being prayerful and reading the word so that we're sensitive to what how he wants to direct us. So.
0: Yes, I love that. That was that was a good message just for me to receive. Is it A or B? No, it's C. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting to me sometimes when I think about the things that God has promised me and the promise actually comes to pass, but it doesn't look anything like what I thought it was going to look like. And sometimes it's it, I have to dig through, you know, making sure like, oh yeah, it's still in there. What he told me is there. It just I got so blinded or distracted by, you know, by the package that it was in or, or you know, how it ended up that I that I sometimes have to wonder, like, is this what he told me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much for yeah, it.
1: there's this king over Judah. His name was Amaziah, and he hired these mercenaries. And I'll try to make this real quick. He hires these mercenaries that were ungodly. And this prophet comes to him and the prophet says to Amaziah, you need to send these men home. Don't bring them to battle with you because God is not with them. And God they were unequally yoked. God did not want Amaziah working with these ungodly people, but he'd already paid them. And so, the first thing that Amaziah says is, what about the money that I already spent on these these soldiers? And the prophet says to him, you know, God can give you so much more than that. Just send them away and God could God. Well, what's really interesting is that when the mercenaries left, they were angry about being sent home because mercenaries in the ancient world made much of their wealth from the spoil of battle. And if they don't fight a battle, they don't get paid. And so believe it or not, they were disappointed and frustrated at being sent home, probably wondering what was wrong with them. Well, when they went home, what they had to do is they had to walk back through the Southern kingdom of Judah, or they had to walk back through Amaziah's kingdom and they were upset with him. And they they they're like, you're not going to let us get any spoil from battle. Well, we're going to get the spoil from your kingdom. And they pillaged many of the cities and, and villages on their way back to the Northern kingdom of Israel. And so My whole point is this, Amaziah did what was right. He obeyed when it was difficult and you would expect him to be blessed and instead he suffered. And so obedience doesn't always, things don't always go the way we expect. You know, when we obey, it doesn't always mean that everything is going to work out perfectly or go exactly the way that we want. There are many people that obeyed, whether the prophet Jeremiah is a great example and things and they suffered. Things were really difficult for them. And so it's not always a recipe of, you know, obey and then, and then you're going to be blessed. Sometimes you obey, you stay in that difficult marriage. um, You know, you continue to parent those difficult children and things don't always turn around. You, You pray for your kid's salvation. They don't always get saved. That relationship is not always restored, even if you're being obedient and doing what God wants.
0: Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect reminder. So pastor Scott, as we begin to wrap up, how can people find you and follow
1: you? Sure. So, my website, scotlapierre.org, is kind of the hub. You can reach me and find all my social media through that. That's where I would um, direct people. You know, you can look for me on Facebook. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, and that has my sermons and a lot of my guest preaching and conference messages if you're looking to um, watch something that way. But yeah, I would recommend just going to my website, scotlapierre.org. There's a contact page there if there's questions, you know, I could answer or ways that I can pray for you. And then also, I have a free gift. I, I like to give people. My first book was a marriage book. Um, it was p- picked up by Harvest House. They wanted to republish it, but I took some of the kind of the best material or insights from that marriage book. And I turned it into this little uh, short read. It's called seven biblical insights for healthy, joyful, Christ-centered relationships. And that's a free gift. I just want to give that to people who see marriages. There's no cost. Again, a short read, you're not going to have to worry about 300 pages. And I hope it's got some good insights that can strengthen marriages. Cause I really have a heart to see marriages be strengthened. And so you can get that on my website uh, as well.
0: All right, perfect. And I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. So you're not trying to figure out exactly how you spell his name. Was it this? Was it that? I'll make sure that all of that information is in there for you. So Pastor Scott, thank you so much for being here and being a part of a Godship podcast. I know that our listeners are going to be blessed um, because of this. At the time of this recording, it is the eve of Christmas Eve. So I pray that you and your family have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of A godship Podcast. I'm your host, Shana Rattler. I pray that you will not only share this with your friends, your families, and even your foes, but that you will listen to other episodes as well. So thank, thank you so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you back here again. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for listening to the God Shift Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember to put God first and everything will fall into place.